Pentecostal church if you keep this up. We're a Presbyterian church, remember? We're, we're not supposed to be clapping and dancing and swinging our hips. It's going to have a member of the Presbytery show up and take notes. Um, praise the Lord uh, for, for just our music and, and also for the, for the people. Amen. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And I got to tell you all, um, when, when I was laying out um, the sermons in Ecclesiastes and, and, the, and through the book, I circled this one in part because, um, for me, it's biographical. And here's what I mean by that. I, there was a time in my life where I, the same things that Solomon is talking about in this, in this particular portion of God's uh, um, word uh, was true for me. And so when I read it, I immediately thought, wow, man, um, this, is, this is me in brief to some degree. And, and, I, and by the way, I mentioned Solomon. I kind of snuck that in there because up to this point, I haven't actually mentioned Solomon's name. I've just said Koheleth or preacher, and I kind of snuck that in, you know, like how sometimes my wife sneaks in vegetables in, the, in our meal, you know. Um, but, but, you know, the, there are times in which you're not quite sure if this is Solomon, but by the time you get to chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, it's clear that Solomon's in view here. It's clear. And if you look at his life, especially in 1 Kings and different portions of God's word, you can see that, that even if this is not Solomon, his life is being spoken of here. And, and as we read this, you might, as we read this, you might say, Pastor Dennis, this is true of me. This is true of somebody I know. This, this might not necessarily be me, but I could see the ways in which I pursue um, pleasure and, in the hopes of, of filling a void in my life. So we're, so we're going to talk about that today. And I pray that today, um, you, you know, you might be in here and you might receive some healing from this. You might be in here and you're like, hey, there's somebody I could counsel through this that might be experiencing this. So, so really, this text is for everybody. It really is. Well, I'm, you know, I might, I might slant one way or the other, but I promise you this text really speaks to the human condition more than anything else. And you'll see that as we go through it. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards of my, for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I, brought, I bought male and female slaves and, and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions and her, of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold 
and the treasurer of the kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, to the delight of the man of the son, sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, indeed, this is your word, and these are your people. And they have gathered here today to hear from you. And I pray that it happens. That as we have gathered here today, we might hear the pure word of the living God. May we walk out transformed by it. And now, Father, what we ask not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. But the power of your Holy Spirit, and for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Look, I'm not going to get into a long runway here. I'm just going to let... Uh, this text speak for itself, because this is the most candid um, that I think Solomon or Koheleth gets, Koheleth gets. And here's the point of this text. The point of this text is to talk about or tackle the issue of happiness. Specifically, why are we at times so unhappy? It's talking about how we use earthly pleasures to make ourselves happy. That's the point of this text, the things that we strive at to do it. And I want to offer you, I think, three important truths about the use of earthly pleasures to make ourselves happy, which Solomon is getting at here. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, you could write this down. Prioritizing pleasure will never make you happy. Prioritizing pleasure will never make you happy. Look at the text in verse number one. Solomon says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. What is Solomon saying here? Solomon is saying here simply this. In my heart, I feel unsatisfied. I feel unhappy. I feel like there's something missing. Have you felt like that recently? From time to time, I feel like that. He says, I've come to a place in my life where I'm king. I have access to all sorts of things. I have access to wealth and money and women. doesn't matter what it is. But yet there's this emptiness that I feel inside. And so Solomon says, I need to do something with this emptiness. And what does he say? I will test my heart with pleasure to enjoy myself or yourself, as it says here in the text. Now, the word enjoy here in this text is a, is a beautiful word, and the word actually has to do with seeing. And what Solomon is saying here is, look, 
I, I feel this emptiness on the inside. I have no joy. I, I, I have no sense of fulfillment. And so I'm going to see if pleasure works. That's what he's saying. Now, that feeling, this ethos of unhappiness is so, pre- so prevalent in our society today. There's so many people that we meet, whether it's in our schools, whether it's on our job, whether we go to the grocery store, wherever we go, there's this ethos of unhappiness. Everywhere, there are people walking around with this void and this emptiness, this lack of meaning and purpose. In fact, it's so prevalent that Greg Esterbrook, in one of his books called The Progress Paradox, made this, this statement. He said, Americans and Europeans have ever more of everything except happiness. If I could rephrase what he said, here's what he's saying. We live like kings, but we're unhappy. You live like a king, but why do you have this emptiness inside? Well, the answer to that question, I think, is because we live under a curse. Say, Pastor, what are you talking about? We live under a curse. Well, let me explain. One of my favorite uh, movies ever is Pirates of the Caribbean, right? The curse of, of the Black Pearl. I don't care what any one of you say, that's the best one. So please don't come after the church service and bail a case for one of the other ones, right? Or tell me what your personal favorite is. There's only one really good one, and that was the very first one. And if you remember the plot of the movie, they stole forbidden treasure, and they came under a curse. And it was called the curse of the Black Pearl. And the only way the curse can be lifted is if they gave back the treasure. And it's this scene in the movie. It's my favorite scene. I, I remember where I was when I heard it. I was, I was skipping work with a friend. I don't recommend this. This is not a testimony of what to do. If, if, hey, if you have a job, go on your job, work hard. But I was a slacker that day. It was the matinee, and I couldn't get off of work, so me and my friend snuck out. We went into the movie theater, and we started watching a movie, and I will never forget this line. And this line comes from a portion in the movie when, when Captain Barbosa, who's played by Jeffrey Rush, is talking to Elizabeth Swan, who's played by Keira Knightley. And, and they, they're face-to-face, and they're having a conversation, and he says this about the curse. He said, for too long I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. Too long I've been starving to death and haven't died. I feel nothing. Not the wind on my face, nor the spray of the sea, nor the warmth of a woman's flesh. You best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Curtis. You're in one of them. The reason why I will always remember that line, because two years ago, I felt exactly like him. I had an emptiness that nothing filled. And boy, I tried. And what he's saying here is so profound. He says, look, we're under a curse. And the curse is that we're living in this empty existence where nothing that we taste or feel or do brings any lasting pleasure or joy. Nothing satisfies. He says, that's our existence. And you know what? That's Solomon. That's what Solomon is saying here. Implicit in this text is that you and I live under a different kind of curse. 
And it's the curse of the fall. During our Sunday school, our Sunday school teacher said he was forbidden to go uh, to the garden. I'm not forbidden, so I'm going to go to the garden. In the garden, man experienced a curse because of sin and rebellion. And from that point to now, that curse made each and every one of us inside here today unable to truly enjoy the goodness and pleasure of God's creation. And it's so beautifully shown within the, the, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, the curse of the Black Pearl, because that's exactly what happens to you and I. No pleasure we pursue gives us ultimate joy. And the only way that curse can be lifted to where you and I can find joy and meaning in the things that we do and the things that we taste or the things that we experience is if that curse is lifted and the only person that can truly lift that curse is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can lift that curse. And brothers and sisters, unless we are putting our hope and our trust and every aspect of our existence, if unless we're filtering that through him and him alone, we will never experience any of the pleasures we are given in this world. That's exactly what Solomon says here in, in the rest of this passage from verse 2 to 8 especially. We can walk through this because one of the things that Solomon is doing here is he's building a case. Look, I don't know about you, but when I was in the midst of darkness, it was about a year and a half, no one could convince me that the things I was doing wasn't bringing me pleasure. I wish I had someone who would sit me down and do what Solomon is doing now. He's actually putting before us all the pleasures in this life that you and I commonly speak. We, I'll walk through a few of them. I won't go through all of them, but let's take the first one. Notice in verse 2, he says he tried comedy. He tried entertainment. Look at verse number 2. He says, I said to laughter, it is mad and a pleasure. What use is it? What is he talking about there? Well, Solomon had court jesters, and their job was to make him laugh and to entertain him. And he said, you know what? I, I engaged in all of that, but yet it didn't satisfy me. Now, look, I love comedy, and I love to watch comedy. One of my favorite uh, comedians was Robin Williams. And Robin Williams, well, two of my favorite Robin Williams movies is Mrs. Doubtfire and Aladdin. And to throw in a third, I, I would say, uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Man, I loved Robin Williams. I would watch his comedy. I would listen to him. And I'll never forget in 2014 when Robin Williams took his own life. And I remember I read everything I could get my hands on, and it dawned on me for the first time in my life that the man who was making me happy was living in a prison of severe um, depression. And then I started reading over and over stories and depictions of comedians who've given their lives over to making other people happy and entertaining other people, scores of them from Jim Belushi, uh, other members of Saturday Night Live, all the way down. All of them struggle with severe depression. I couldn't believe it. Here are the people who were tasked to make us happy and to entertain us, only to find out that they lived in constant depression and in this prison. And there was no one they could tell because it was their job to entertain us. 
And maybe you're sitting here today and you're in that same prison. You're like, outside, everybody thinks I'm okay, but I'm not. It happens all the time. Notice he says in verse number three, I'll give you another one that people often use in our society today. Verse number three, he says, I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. What is he referring to here? Well, wine is a stand-in for alcohol and drugs. Look, everyone in this room have met somebody who's tried using alcohol and drugs to soothe their pain. And I'll tell you this, it will soothe it, but only for a little bit. Then you go into a downward spiral. And so Solomon is reasoning with us here. And look, we have to reason with each other. Because, you know, for some of us inside here today, we're, we're, we're trending towards abusing alcohol. We're trending towards abusing substances. It happens on a dime. And Solomon says, look, if you're trending that way, if you have that kind of personality, that addictive personality, where you uh, might be tempted to use drugs and alcohol, uh, Solomon says, don't go down that path. Because it will only lead to emptiness. Look at verse number 8 through 10. Solomon uh, says, look, I tried gold and silver. In other words, wealth. I tried fame and fortune. I, fi I tried women, right? Wealth, women, and fame. That describes the 21st century person. That's what everybody wants, at least the men. Maybe the women want, you know, men. But Solomon is exposing all the things that we run to to make us happy. But he's like, look, you're under a curse. You're under a curse. You could try all of those things, but just like Captain Barbosa, you can consume all those things and try all those things. But at the end of the day, unless you are putting your hope and trust and life in Christ, that curse will render all of those things a curse to you. So that's the first point that I want to make. Prioritizing pleasure will never make you happy. The second point I want to make is this. Outward pleasure only magnifies inward pain. Outward pleasure only magnifies inward pain. Notice with me in verse number 9. And I think it's probably the most telling statement in verse 1 through 11. Solomon says this. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, also, my wisdom remained with me. Man. Take a pen and underline that in your Bible. I know some of you may not read, write in your Bible, but your pastor allows it, right? Just underline this. And here's what I want you to remember with that verse. So often, people engage in sin, right? Engage in the pleasure of the world, and outwardly, they are successful. You know, Solomon says, I did all of these things, and I didn't go to prison. My life didn't fall apart. I didn't lose my intellect. I didn't lose my kingship. None of that happened. He said, my wisdom remained in me. I'm I was still famous. People still came to see me. I was still successful. I had everything that anyone could have. I sinned with impunity. I had as much pleasure as I wanted. I did everything that I wanted. And he said, from an outward perspective, nobody knew any different. The queen of Sheba still came and, and came to my feet and wanted to know what I had to say. The kings of the world still came and wanted to know what I had to say. Nothing really changed in my life. And I can tell you this. 
There are many people in here right now who outwardly everyone thinks you have it together, but inwardly you are suffering, suffering on the inside. Well, I mentioned, um, I mentioned the movie, uh, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, but I didn't mention Johnny Depp. And uh, Johnny Depp is my guy, man. I like that guy. I don't know why. I just, I'm a huge Johnny Depp fan. I'm not a fan of his lifestyle. But if you, if you watch Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp is probably one of the most talented people on the planet. Johnny Depp is an accomplished painter. He is. He's a, be- he's a beautiful artist. Johnny Depp is also a co- an accomplished musician. Johnny Depp is an amazing actor. And let's face it, Johnny Depp is attractive. Right? I don't mind saying that. Johnny Depp is also incredibly wealthy. Also, he has an amazing voice. Can you just hear him talk? I can listen to Johnny Depp talk all day. Johnny Depp is the kind of guy, he's incredibly generous. I mean, he meets strangers on the side of the road and says, hey, let's go to dinner. He's like a cool guy to be around. A little bit of a, you know, I, I, my issues are worked out, but Johnny Depp. And I'll never forget, I was, listen, I was watching, oh, I'm sorry, I was reading an article by Johnny Depp, and here's what Johnny Depp said. He said, I hate what fame has done to my life. I hate it. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I feel empty inside. That's Johnny Depp. You know, from an outward perspective, anyone, anyone would want Johnny Depp's life. He has everything that the world says he should have. But the one thing that he doesn't have is Jesus. And so all the outward trappings of the world, yes, he has. But he's empty inside. Is that you today? Look, be honest. Solomon is being candid here, and he's inviting you to be candid. That's, that's why, by the way, that's why I love the book of Ecclesiastes. Man, when I was growing up and I was in church, I always thought, like, oh, oh man, I can't think that, because maybe Christians don't think that. Maybe, I, you know, I can't say that, because I've never heard another Christian say that. Like, look, if you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, he says it all. He gives us permission, each and every one of you inside here today, He gives you permission to ask any question you want, to bring any feeling that you have out in the open. He gives you permission to be candid about your life. This is your opportunity. Outwardly, you might look like you have it all together, but he's asking the simple question, are you empty on the inside? Are you empty on the inside? Is your life falling apart? Well, um, if that's you inside here today, you might be wondering, what is the answer to that? There is an answer to that, and it's in the text. Notice with me in verse number 11, which is my last point. Overcoming our desire for pleasure will be painful. Notice what uh, what, uh, Solomon says in verse number 11. He says, then I consider all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. 
and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. That, that word consider, man, I, you know, I love reading God's word because every now and then you come across stuff and you're just like, how did I not see that before? I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like I'm in a treasure box when I read God's word because every time I'm seeing stuff, I'm like, man, I've never seen this before and I've never seen this before. I want you again, circle that word consider. Here's why I want you to circle that word consider. That word consider actually has the idea of to turn. More specifically, to turn your face toward something. And so what Solomon is saying here is that for the first time in a long time, he turned his face toward all the things that he's doing and he realizes it's vanity and striving after the wind. You know, psychologists say that one of the reasons why children avoid eye contact. Now, for those of us that children who have children, we know this, right? We're talking to them about usually when we're correcting them, they like turn and they start doing all this stuff. And you're just like, you want to take their face and you're just like, hey, focus on me. I'm trying to, trying to tell you something here, right? There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Psychologist says that one of the reasons why children do that is they're trying to protect themselves from the uncomfortable feeling or the painful feeling of being corrected, of coming to grips with their actions. That's why they do that. And you know what psychologists also say? We never really outgrow it. A psychiatrist by the name of Anna Lemke, she, um, in her books, often talk about the interaction she has with people that come and see her. And she says one of the things that she often tries to do is get people to come face to face with their sin. And there was a young man that walked in. She was talking with him. And he was being super evasive. And she finally said, look, why don't you just tell me what you do, what you're doing? And she said this, he, he said to her, I do whatever I want, whenever I want. If I want to stay in bed, I stay in bed. If I want to play video games, I play video games. If I want to do drugs, I do drugs. If I want to be with women, I be with women. That's what I do. And she looked at him in his eye and said, How's that working out for you? And he responded, it's not very well. It's not very well. You know what Solomon is inviting us to do? Man, he's inviting you to take a long, hard look at your life and the decisions that you're making and the path that you're going down and how you pursue pleasure in this life and the things you run after to fill the void of that emptiness. He wants you to come face to face with that. Now, let me say anyone can do that. But he wants you to do something else that I think is very important. He not only wants you to look face to face your sin, with your sin and ways in which you pursue pleasure to fill that void, but he also is pointing us to look face to face and come face to face with Jesus Christ. You see, anyone in this world can look at their sin and feel bad about it. That's just a part of the human condition. 
but it takes what Christianity says, that God doesn't want us to remain there. He just doesn't want you to look at your sin. Because I can tell you this, if you look at your sin long enough and hard enough, you will become broken beyond measure. You will despair beyond measure. Because as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we're really good at breaking our lives, but we're really bad at fixing them. Everyone in this room have the same gift. We're really good at messing up our lives and sinning. We're really good at pursuing pleasure in the worst way possible. But none of us have the ability to fix ourselves. In order for you to fix yourself, you have to come to Jesus Christ. And now you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, okay, I believe you. How do I do that? How do I do that? You know, one of uh, my favorite verses, and to some degree it's a life verse, it's taken from Psalm 1611. And here's what it says. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there is pleasures forevermore. See, there's something about when we come into the presence of the Lord. Now, when you come into the presence of the Lord, you might be at different phases of your walk with Christ. You might be at the very beginning. Maybe some of you inside here today, coming into the presence of the Lord means you need to come to the Lord repentant for your sins. Some of us inside here today, we might be a Christian. And for us, coming into the presence of the Lord is acknowledging the fact that even though we're believers, we still feel empty but we've used all the ways that God tells us not to use to fill that emptiness. For some of us today, we've been struggling with brokenness and the emptiness still persists. And so coming to the Lord for you today might look at you just continuously coming before the presence of the Lord, asking him to heal you. But here's what I have to tell you today. No one gets healed outside of the presence of the Lord. Because that's what the psalmist is driving us to. You have an emptiness that can only be filled by Jesus Christ, and it can only be filled when you come into the presence of the Lord. Now, again, you might be sitting there and thinking, well, Pastor Dennis, how does that happen? Here's how that's happened. Uh, Charles Spurgeon talks about this in one of his sermons on this text. And he says that when you and I come into the presence of the Lord, something glorious happens. In the presence of the Lord, God takes our emptiness, our brokenness, our unhappiness, our sadness. He takes that to himself. And then instead, he gives us his joy, his peace, and his happiness. The Bible calls that the great exchange. Christ was known as a man of sorrows because he took all of our sorrow in order that we might have joy. And when we come into the presence of the Lord, man, something glorious happens. He scoops up all of the junk that we have, all of that emptiness, all of that pain, all of that suffering. He scoops all of that up and he says, I'll take this and instead I'll give you something else in return. Joy, pleasure. Man, I remember the night I got saved. I felt like 
someone had ripped out of me every bit of anger and frustration and burden I had in my heart, and I was given something miraculous, a joy I couldn't even explain. I remember I went to, I remember I went to work the next day, and my coworker was looking at me like, what happened to you? Did you meet someone? And I looked back at him, and I said, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Let me tell you about Jesus. Man, Solomon is inviting us here to come to the one who can give us lasting pleasure. Don't settle for this, the pleasures of this world. Don't do it. They're insufficient. So what's the big takeaway? Bring your emptiness to Jesus. Pray to him. Stay in his presence. He promised to give you something back that's far more amazing. His joy. His joy. Father, we thank you today. Lord, this is why I love your word. Because it reminds us that we're all broken. We're all under a curse. But we don't have to stay there. We have the privilege to come to you and bring our emptiness, our sadness. And you give us something glorious in return. Real joy, lasting joy. I pray that for everyone in here in Jesus' name.